Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Outer Rim. My name is Matt, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Pete. Hello, the Pete. What up, all my Mandos and Mandats? The Mandalorian podcast by Fantastic Geek dons our helmets for Chapter 10, The Passenger. Pete, it has been a uniquely busy week lately. I am, of course, talking about some Star Wars news. Uh, What do you have for us? Breaking news, we go to Pete at the Magic Wall. (laughs) Season 3, Matt, is revving up for production. Nothing official at this point. You know how Lucasfilm likes to roll, keeping things silent. No doubt aided by the ongoing pandemic but we are now beginning in the wake of the boba fett tamora morrison cameo at the end of chapter nine last week beginning to hear about the possibility of a boba fett spin-off maybe mini series uh pretty loud rumblings again nothing official at this point but you can imagine Pretty soon, we'll start to solidify some information. I had read in one of the Hollywood trades, I think maybe on the Deadline website, just kind of passing reference, kind of in that insidery way that that sometimes those trade uh, th- those trade sources can can have, kind of reference to like John Favreau, and I might be off on the details here, but it was like John Favreau says pre-production is underway, but Disney denies it, and it kind of was like chuckle, chuckle, so typical of. Disney and Lucasfilm, uh, particularly Lucasfilm, trying to keep things so quiet. Meanwhile, I think the implication being, you know, meanwhile, John Favreau as the capo de capos of, dare say, Pete, of of current Star Trek, uh, Star Trek, of current current Star Wars. You know, The Mandalorian being this massive success. You know, if he wants to make an offhand comment, yes, we're working on it, but nothing's official. You know, blah blah blah. There's a little bit of of tugging back and forth, but certainly, Pete, the state of Star Wars is good. It is Matt, and uh, again, I'm sure we'll get some official news in the not-so-distant future, but even just the pings, we are picking up on our transponders enough to, uh, to get our, uh, our signals up. With that, it's time to hit the hunt. The twin sons of Tatooine shine as the Mandalorian's speeder bike whizzes over the baking sands. Suddenly we see a hammer pounding. It is a Nikto alien. He is preparing a trap as he hears the speeder bike approaching and begins to speed up his preparations. The camera languishing on the armor of Boba Fett on the bike the rope is tied and covered the trap is set and then it's sprung and mando and the child fly end over end off the speeder bike mando using his jetpack to make it to his feet safely and then the bike explodes as four assailants begin to fire at mando the tinier one the tiniest one directed by another to get the vulnerable child 
this whole opening, it's a trap. It's about a trip line. It's all about the tension both of that line and the way director Peyton Reed is setting up the, the shots here. Close-ups of the line being set, uh, the line being dug into its little little trough and whatnot. Um, I really like the fight that ensues. Uh, the wisdom here of having the Beskar steel being able to take shots, you know, it's kind of vaguely star wars operates by the gi joe rules kind of almost in reverse you know in gi joe no one is shot and hurt for real in star wars you know our heroes are never are never really shot if they are it's like oh man the edge of my arm quick get a bandana and tie it off here the mandalorian is able to take multiple shots which of course bounce off he dukes it out with two goons uh, while using a grappling hook to disarm uh, a third, I believe it is uh, the the the, uh, the weest of them all. Yes, love the little effect where not only does he disarm that guy, but then the rifle hits the two that he's fighting. Uh, though Pete, then the reveal that that uh, that smallest of rascals has the child, uh, and they start to bargain. Pete, they're going to make a deal. Yes, holding him at night point here. Uh, the we bandit. Uh, points to the Beskar jetpack, which of course uh, Mando will make the deal for. And you're like, oh, he just got the, he just got the jetpack. What's he gonna do without it? The child is put down and runs over. Uh, of course he's okay, thank goodness. And as the bandit runs away, Mando uses the remote control on his wrist to activate the jetpack. We don't see what goes up into the air. We don't need to. Um, and then a couple more beeps on the gauntlet. Down, a body comes, and then the jetpack returns via remote, lands, and then tips onto its side. The child blowing a raspberry as we head to the title card. Indeed, the Mandalorian giving a bit of a shrug. You know, it's a it's a rough life out there sometimes. Uh, the title card gives us the title of the episode, The Passenger. With that, we cut to the heat of the desert with uh, Mando and the child, as well as leftovers from last week. Indeed, Pete, literal leftovers. You know, <laughs> cold pizza. How about some day-old dragon? Yummy, yummy in the tummy. Uh, Mando gets back to town by nightfall and heads to the cantina. That's right, the cantina. Um, I'm... I, I was happy to see that it was hopping a bit more than last time. Uh, Pete, that's what happens when you get to recycle your sets. Um, bare as these sets might be, I believe the Cantina set is just the bar and uh, the, the one alcove for the table. The rest of it, uh, part of that digital stagecraft background. But, you know, still you don't need to create anything particularly new here. Uh, other than, of course, Dr. Mandible, who Pete, I thought was in the, you know, the, the famous uh, New Hope uh, cantina scene. Uh, at least the character of Dr. Mandible was not. I don't know if we've seen these aliens before, but I'm sure you can elucidate for me. I'm pretty sure you've seen this ant before, especially with this Ant-Man director. Ah, <laughs> indeed. Pete, is this, is Dr. Mandible's first name Anthony? No, uh, Anthony's not the gigantic ant. I don't think they ever named the gigantic ant in the Ant-Man and the Wasp movie, the one last scene playing the drums after the snap. Maybe it's Ger-Ant Mandible? <laughs> 
whatever it is, Matt, um, John Favreau, Peyton Reed, Ant-Man, Marvel crossover confirmed, right? Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's so very interesting to have Peyton Reed, who obviously has had these success with the Ant-Man movies and indeed um, has been a successful director, you know, all the way back to uh, Liar Liar and Bring It On. I think it's, I mean, look, obviously, hey, work is work, but also knowing what we know from the Star Wars Galaxy stuff, uh, Galaxy Gallery stuff, uh, the behind the scenes stuff for the first season, I really got the sense, among other things, that to direct an episode of The Mandalorian is much more of a time commitment than your normal, you know, I'm doing an, uh, I'm doing an hour drama of, you know, insert whatever show of Supergirl, and that might be you know, a week or two of prep, then you shoot it for a week and it's a week or two of post and that's it. One really gets the sense that for, um, for the Mandalorian, Peyton Reed was probably busier, closer to the amount of time for a, for a normal movie, maybe not a you know super expensive uh, Marvel movie, but to have a feature film director directing an episode in general, let alone an episode like this, that is so, kind of effects driven and, and whatnot it's really uh it, it's a credit to this production and bug heavy at that but we'll get to it um peli motto sees that uh mando has a mandalorian helmet and she thinks that he killed a mandalorian for this but he explains that he bought the armor after killing a crate dragon for him oh is that all uh, and then uh, Dr. Mandible says that he uh, can connect Mando with someone who can help him find more Mandos if he covers his call this round. The bet is 500 and he's on a hot streak. And of course, Mando does. And of course, uh, Dr. Mandible is cleaned out. Peli Mato having been bluffing. Um, in exchange for all of this, we get uh, the, the reiterated takeaway that the doctor will send a contact Mando's way. We head to Pelimato's uh, shop, you know, there at Bay, Dock and Bay 35, uh, the dragon meat being roasted. I have to say, Pete, the, 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 the angle, the lighting, the, what I'm assuming is, you know, prop construction of the dragon meat, boy, did that, I mean, that looked really, really good. That was some primal, you know, oh, <laughs> Over the caveman fire, you know, twenty thousand years ago, yes, we took down the beast. It, 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 it got me ready to to chomp down on some dragon meat. I do want my crate dragon meat uh, cooked Rodian style, though. I'm a I'm a well done guy. Pete, will they bring dragon meat uh, to uh, what will eventually be the rejuvenated Galaxy's Edge? Will that be on the menu? I've got to do it, right? Absolutely. Uh, she tells Mando that the covert is close. It's in the same sector, one system trailing. Um, she doesn't know if it's the covert that left Navarro, but the contact will lead him to it. Aside from a finder's fee, there's just one small skank in the scud pie, Matt. The contact wants passage to the system. Pelly will vouch for the contact that she's known for about 10 minutes on her life, but um, no hyperdrive. That's right. Sub light weight deals off, says Mando, uh, but it's only one sector over. Um, however, moving fast is the only thing keeping him. And 
increasingly the child safe here we are pete watching another sci-fi show podcasting another sci-fi show where you can't use faster than light travel uh consistently or for purposes of story or whatever it might be this is these are weird times uh but more importantly the contact arrives it is uh, as as stated in the subtitles, and I believe in dialogue as well, it is Frog Lady. Frog Lady, uh, man. I can't wait to own my Frog Lady action figure complete with uh, spawn backpack cylinder. Um, as you mentioned, Pelly says she can vouch for her, though she just met her. Um, we do get it made very clear that there's the, the spawn in a container on her back. They need to get to her husband or their line will end. We also, Pete, get adorably the child eyeing the eggs with curiosity. Of course, we're going to find out that that curiosity is, uh, <laughs> is a rather uh, basic one and <laughs> one that's going to propel the plot in different directions. This after he was uh, all but salivating with the dragon meat over the spit behind the uh, pod engine. Uh, We also learn that uh, Frog Lady's husband, so Frogman, has settled on the estuary moon of Trask in the system of the gas giant Coal Ivan. Uh, Pelly paraphrased most of this, but her husband has seen Mando's um, and the best shot of this entire sequence and there's a lot of great ones okay is um frog lady heading up the ramp and the blurry shot of the child streaking behind her (laughs) towards the backpack uh i mean just just wonderful wonderful scene there uh we end up in the cockpit of the razor crest uh mando asks the frog lady to stay strapped in while flying so a little not not a note of uh, of um, things to worry about, but I think kind of portending that nonetheless. Um, he does not speak, Pete. What I will call froggies, um, and she does not speak. Uh, Pete, I know it's not galactic standard. What's the proper Star Wars Hut- term? Hutties. Well, no, there's there, there's hutties that he tries oh, to go Aberish? to as a backup. Abaresh. Yeah, whatever, whatever, whatever the common tongue is in Star Wars. Um, maybe it's galactic normal. It's also called. I don't quite know, but meanwhile, galactic standard. Something like that. Meanwhile, in the hold, the child is again eyeing the container, kind of reaching up to it, lightly force-pulling some of the eggs against the glass. Pete, this all continues to be adorable and in in no way is setting up the, the, (laughs) I don't want to say horror, but I think it's kind of a faux horror, comedic horror of, (laughs) of what's about to unfold. Yeah, I love the shot through the cylinder, pressing his nose on it up against the glass turns towards the space toilet and then uh using the force now to uh to pull the eggs towards him and you're like oh he he cares about life and maybe he's gonna make them hatch and in no way do we fully expect what's coming in the cockpit mando tells frog lady he's gonna hit the rack having sent the nav for their course recommends that uh she gets some rest in the back he finds the kid slurping the eggs down yes and there kind of is the the horror of it i think maybe we're a bit more uh a bit more sensitive to the fact that he is uh slowly whittling away the last of frog lady's uh brood um 
Mando scoops him up and together they hit the rack. I must confess, Pete, I did not fully understand from the first season that um, the area in the in, in the prison break episode, the area where the child had been hidden, that to me kind of looked like a closet, um, th- that it was, you know, essentially a, a bunk area with a door that can close. It does make sense. It's kind of similar to the, uh, the bunk area, say, in a... Uh, you know, the cab of an 18-wheeler uh, truck. Um, so we kind of, at least to my mind, officially learn that that's the rack. Uh, later, you know, time goes by. Alarms are going off. Uh, Mando makes his way back up to the cockpit. And on the radio is Carson in an X-Wing, part of a patrol. Pete, we don't have the other pilot's name yet, but uh, we will in the course of this scene. <laughs> yeah, and uh, this is the Mandalorian's version of Han on the Death Star attempting to tell somebody on the other end of the comm that uh, everything's fine, situation normal, how are you? Uh, the problem here, his transponder, uh, Mando's transponder is not emitting. Um, and his explanation that he's pre-Empire surplus, he's not required to run a beacon, but that, Matt, was before. This sector's under New Republic jurisdiction. All craft are required to run a beacon thanks i'll get right on that (laughs) uh but you know even having uh extended uh the force to be with this patrol uh they're gonna need him to send that ping you know because they're searching they're sweeping for imperial holdouts uh he will of course let them know if he sees any but they're still gonna need that ping oh wait i don't have that hardwire or that hardware online we'll wait (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's just a great moment. What this particular episode does with pauses, with reaction, is really something special. I know there were people who were like, 42 minutes after you gave us 53 minutes last week. I mean, this is, to my mind, a better episode, a tenser episode. Uh, particularly in light of what goes on once we reach the forthcoming ice planet. But uh, finally, they're like, hey, if you're not going to do this for us, we're going to need to get you to follow us to an outpost at Adelphi, and they're going to run his tabs. Oh, no, wait, here's my transponder. Okay. Uh, Frog Lady gasps in the background. But no, 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 you didn't hear that, uh, Carson. That was the hypervac drawing off the exhaust manifold. And then over the subtitles, the other X-Wing pilot, this one Wolf, yes, Dave Filoni's uh, X-Wing pilot, Trapper Wolf, asks Carson to switch over to Channel 2, pause, S-foils on both X-Wings suddenly raised into attack position. Now, Pete, you and I have both worked jobs where you carry a walkie-talkie, and whenever there's the, hey, let's switch over to another channel, (laughs) you know something is going down. Uh, Anybody holding a walkie who is not in sight of the people who are going to a different channel then also switches over, just eavesdrop. Um, Mando here, I guess, unable to do so, if only for dramatic purposes. Um... (laughs) Love that we get the new 
uh, pilot here in uh, Carson, uh, full name Carson Teva, played by Paul Sun Hyung Lee. Uh, and then, of course, the return, as you mentioned, of, uh, of Pilot Wolf. Um, then, you know, Pete, we saw how um, serious uh, the, the director's pilots were in the last episode, in, in the last season. Um, speculating indeed was, uh, you know, was, was the station that they came upon fully destroyed as shown in, uh, in some of the, uh, the artwork. We didn't quite see it on screen, but now there's this connection as Mando was asked if he was ever near, uh, the such and such Republic prisoner transport flashes of the first season come back in our minds, although not on screen. We know that the jig is up. So does Mando who pauses and then bolts into the, the nearest planet's atmosphere. We got uh, a we- runner. <laughs> Indeed, yeah, and I love kind of how unflappable they are, and I know that that was part of John Favreau's direction to Dave Filoni uh, and uh, Rick Famuyiwa and Deborah Chow uh, when they played pilots last season, just to make it. Oh, it's kind of boring. Okay, hey, there's an attack <laughs> thing coming. All right, let's blow it up. You know, these are these are veterans of the multi-year uh, war against the Empire. So you know. <laughs> One space station last season, one fighter last season, uh, one really old beat up uh, Razor Crest is no big deal to them. We get whooshing and swooshing through the clouds and whatnot. Pete, then they head into, okay, the Ice Canyon. Wait a minute, Pete. Is this just another trench run? <laughs> it's it's not. We do learn through quickly the uh, Arboresh um, language on the screen. This planet is actually named Maldo Crease. Uh, so some Eagle Eye fans out there spotted that. Wait, Pete, I just love... so I'm clear. So that's I know Arabesh is the written, you know, language. Yeah. So that what that appears on an X Wing screen, or, or where did you on, get that info on, from? Seems like it was Mando's uh, console. Okay, wow. So somebody took the time to screen yeah. cap that. Look yes. up Arabesh. Okay, yes. that's a fun little game. That's the level we're dealing with in in terms of, of detail and, you know, only more to come in this episode. But I love is the Razor Crest and the X-Wings descend into the clouds here. You've got the great contrast of the sunlight and, and the dark clouds, and you've got the, the jumpy cam. Uh, and again, your your mind does not register that this is you know, shot for quote unquote TV, you know, there was the old line a couple of years ago, you know, it, it's not TV, it's uh, HBO, you know, need, needs to be some kind of update for, you know, it it's not film, it's Disney plus. Indeed, Pete, uh, I'm looking quickly here on Wikipedia, apparently Maldo Crest, also the ice planet from the, the, from chapter one of the Mandalorian, um, so I think really? that uh, apparently so. Um, uh, I don't know that that's canonically been stated. I I do certainly. I I feel like Wikipedia in general is reliable, just as Memory Alpha is for Star Trek. But when things are so new, you know, here this episode today's Sunday, this episode two days old. I think sometimes that info in play. Uh, so I would say, you know, dear listener, don't don't cite what I'm saying as 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 gospel cited as as an early thing here and i'm not gonna frankly i'm not gonna go through the footnotes to uh totally clarify it at the moment as we as we record live to tape um but how about this way pete 
I was glad that it ended up not being Hoth. I think that we can have multiple ice planets, and if we're going to return in the the Mando corner of the Star Wars universe to, to familiar ice planets, uh, so be it. But it doesn't need to be, you know. And update here's where this, you know, like it's as we've said many times before, particularly with Star Wars, we can move things forward, we can move things uh, new, and indeed back to. This chase here, uh, Mando twists a turn and kind of evades them, skids backwards into what looks like uh, first an alcove and then um, breaks down into uh, a, you know more of a cave or, or the opening of a, of a cave, that sort of thing. And with the thud, we get presumably Mando and Frog Lady passing out. We kind of get a dissolve that suggests the passage of time. Frog Lady and Mando are okay. Um, and Mando's first thought as they both awake is that he's going to check on the eggs. It needs to keep her warm. She's shivering, going to get her blankets. Uh, in the hold, there's a hole in the side of the hull. There's snow. Where is the kid? And, I mean, geez, we've already had him held at knife point in this episode, and now you're like, did he get blown out? Is the rest of this episode the search for the child no uh oh hey frog lady you didn't hear that uh because slurping under a tarp that mando lifts up he's found the eggs <laughs> and the child with one in his hand like he's been caught with a hand in a cookie jar uh, just tremendous staging of what they do both with the physical puppet and then a little bit later on, there's straight up CGI uh, with the child when he finds a different egg. As Mando surveys the damage here, uh, we get the update that there's not only hull damage, but that main power also is not responding, uh, which in retrospect is a good um, it's a good one-two punch. Obviously, the hull damage and not being able to seal off the, the interior of the hold um, is important for the story in you know in ten minutes or so, um, but the idea of main power precludes the possibility of them just taking off, just pressurizing the cabin uh, and, and leaving now the way they leave at the end of the episode. Um, still, um, there's this issue where Mandalorian and uh, the Frog Lady can't communicate. Mando says that it's nap time, uh, and he snoozes while she eyes the wreckage of Zero from that uh, that prison job episode. Um, which is handy, Pete, because if you had forgotten about Zero uh, on the previously on segment, you got kind of the reminder. Yeah, so that was certainly interesting when they gave you that. All right, was he going to catch, uh, you know, up to them uh, in some way? Was he going to, you know, reroute his power and, and come back on and, and hold? Um, but to use it, to use the vocabulary there, to uh to talk with him and to tell mando here that uh this is the last breed of her life cycle that her husband risked uh his life to carve out an existence for them on the only planet hospitable for their species they fought too hard suffered too much to resign themselves to the extinction of their family line and that she demands he hold true to the deal he agreed to but he says the, the deal is off. They'll be lucky to leave this frozen tomb of a cavern and a planet with their lives. 
but she thought Matt that honoring uh, their word was part of the Mandalorian code. I guess those are just stories for children. After all, child looks at Mando. <laughs> I mean, she knows how, she knows how to burn, um, uh-huh. e- even through the vocabulator there. Uh, with that, he gets to work, noting a lot of the bad damage. Um, the child comes out and looks in the opposite direction, which I guess, Pete, it, to me, it wasn't clear on the two viewings. I guess there's perhaps there's a dissolve I missed or there's some sort of passage of time because it's not just, okay, you called me out, walk, 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 weld, 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 wait, she's gone. But indeed, ultimately, um, that's where the child is looking to uh, in the direction where she has gone. He sees Frog Lady's tracks, uh, Mando does, uh, by way of the the. the thermal uh, vision that he has uh it's called predator vision matt it even makes the same noises um uh, pete probably the only 70s or 80s movie that they're going to reference uh this is an episode in no way informed by uh by ridley scott's alien in in in, in very uh you know in, in a very soon moment in the story here um, they enter the snowy cave. Pete, it's it's got to totally be a Wampa cave, right? It's all connected, right? This is still Hoth, right? Nope. Again, it's okay to be similar but different. Um, Pete, there's a hot pool. Frog lady. Pete, you know, uh, I, I know she's a frog, you know, there in, in the nude, uh, taking a bath with her eggs, just as one does to get warmed up. The tension and the hilarity that is ramped up in this scene. So he begins taking the eggs and you know you got to fish them over with your heavy gloves on part of which are covered in beskar steel and you know if you've ever tried to get a ball out of a pool and, and pull it towards you without jumping in after it she's not really helping much at all the child is on the edge of the pool ready to slurp these things down so he's getting it on a couple different uh angles And then the child, when he's told no, waddles off in the direction of some other objects that he's now sniffed. And um, there's just a priceless moment, and it's really sold with the childlike flourish in the music we hear a couple times in this episode, that in no way are the things in there a threat uh, that... Uh, the puppetry here between the snow gathering at the bottom of of the puppet and the CGI as the child sniffs at one of these. They almost look like fungi. Okay. Then taps it, then scratches it open and reaches in and eats a bug, you know, uh, sticky pieces uh trailing all over his chin and onto his little outfit there mando is still pulling in one egg at a time and then all these other objects around the child which we now realize are eggs begin to rumble and these healthy white spiders not the uh premature one that he gobbled up begin to emerge as still Mando is pulling one egg at a time (laughs) and the child comes running over crying. Clearly this portion of the scene 
uh, informed by the movie Alien. Uh, I think, uh, how shall I say this, Pete? I think that the design here of the the egg container is perhaps a bit less <coughs> recognizable as compared to those in Alien, um, and that probably the better decision, it being right. a Disney product ultimately, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If you don't know what I'm talking to, dear listeners, go rewatch Alien. Well, um, they're all Disney products now. Uh, you know, that's true. I, Pete, there might have to be a special edition uh, of, of the original Alien movie to make those uh, egg containers a little less, you know. Let's move on, Pete. Um, as these egg sacs open, we see the little spiders coming out, space spiders. Pete, I just want to point out, you mentioned last week my greatest fear, that of sharks. Uh, and, of course, we got the sand, the sand jaws uh, last week. Number two on the list is spiders. Um, so I don't know why John Favreau is tasking me. And 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 <laughs> what you... else are you afraid of? Because um, wherever they're headed next week, if there's not some kind of creature, I think the smart money says that there is. We might have the underlying theme of this second season. <sighs> uh, Pete, I'm not exactly sure uh, what would be third on the list, but I know. How that... are you with like bees or wasps? Or... <laughs> I mean, to me, there's not that visceral fear. Like, like, like for example, in the movie, uh, uh, is it the Perfect Storm, the big, the big um, hurricane in the Atlantic thing? There's mm-hmm. a scene where somebody's fishing, and oh, they got something really hard on the it's list. A random uh, shark moment. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like the entire time I'm like, it's a shark, it's a shark, it's a shark. I don't know that I would be the same way for like no watch out for that tree there could be bees you know i do know pete speaking of a perfect storm um the perfect storm it's something perfect storm um i know that without giving up my spoiler free cred here i know at a certain point mando and the child end up on a boat on the water so i kind of um you know whether it's i know we've gotten the sand shark and the sand shark fin and things like that maybe we get kind of something lurking beneath the water there um which could be shark like but but could tie in i don't know pete but I know that these space spiders, there's tension, but it's not that bad. They're small. Uh, luckily, um, as uh, as Frog Lady gets out of the uh, out of the pool off screen, the, she's able to with dress. With the tongue grabbing yes. her clothing after before we saw the tongue eating out of the little uh, Dagobah Empire Strikes Back ration trays. Uh, on Ooh, good board. catch. I, I I knew I knew instinctively that it was food, but I did not catch it as a ration tray. That's a really great, really great observation. Yeah, um, that she she lassos her clothing and then puts it on. You know, there's the really quick pan away, and then suddenly she's got it on, and it's time to make a run for the ship. Along with, I must point out. I mean, undoubtedly, the performer in the costume. It's. Uh, probably an arduous task to have to get on the, the the mask and the the clothing and whatever padding there is and whatnot the, the little performance thing of the out you know like when they're ready to film her stepping back into frame undoubtedly the performer is fully masked and fully costumed but it's kind of the reach over to where there might be a clasp except it's not a clasp it's probably all sewn in the front and there's a zipper on the back with velcro but i'm gonna tug at my shoulder like oh last little bit has been put on um so Pete, we've had the small spiders, then mid-sized ones appear, and it's getting worse. And all of a sudden, crash, crash, the legs come down. It's the giant mama or or papa, Pete, um, whatever whatever they are. It's it's increasingly terrifying. It's increasingly, it's it's all terrifying, Matt. 
Um, the uh, we should just point out that the performer inside the uh, frog lady costume is the same Misty Rojas as um, I'm sorry, Rosas as uh, Queel in the first season. Yes, Nick Nolte was the voice, but she was the performer inside. So again, keeping with this small crew, this was undoubtedly on set. Uh, Misty Rosas, uh, the other performer, uh, Eastwood's grandson in the Mando costume, and of course the, the child as the child and the small team that portrays him and now fleeing this terrifying uh you know spider army um again why you bring in peyton reed having worked with ants before now completely clear chasing them into uh the the cave where you know the big spider can't go but he can push his uh his legs and all the little ones can follow. And then, you know, there's a lot of great moments in this episode, but, you know, the the frog lady suddenly realizing it's on and deciding to jump through the rest of the cave as a frog was just a great flourish. Yeah, and it, I mean, it makes sense on a bunch of levels, including the scene initially starts with Mandalorian reading the danger hurry up get dressed let's go and then there's a little bit of the you know like oh no cowboy sir i can't keep up for i am a i am an old west woman and then (laughs) no 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 let's lean into the alien nature it's time for her to kick it into the next gear so of course she's going to hip hop along the way i think also in terms of the mountain of special effects that needs to be done here in terms of animating all the spiders let's get her out of the frame let's get her ahead so that when you look at mandalorian and everybody who's behind you don't need to worry about how was Misty Rosas's performance in this particular take? Is she in the way of where we want to have a bunch of spiders? It's just, boom, she's gone, she's ahead, and you get you get what you want, uh, including the Mandalorian throwing not one, not two, but three time delay uh, mini thermal detonators. Um, I think in an attempt to get the big one collapsed down, uh, it doesn't initially help, but then it does. Um, but still, the, the small and medium-sized ones are coming. And here comes the flamethrower now, which is what I've been calling for this entire time, because the only way to kill all these things is with fire. <laughs> uh, they they back up, they hot foot it to the razor crest. Now, uh, Mando has the blaster pistol going. The child is a great shot where he lowers him and he's booking into the hall here. And then uh, Frog Lady is handed her cylinder of eggs through the gash in the hall. And then a medium-sized spider shoots Webb over the right hand, the pistol hand of Mando. Another little one, little spider, jumps up. He crushes it with his hand (laughs) to free his other hand and retreats in with blaster fire. All the spiders pile in climbs into the cockpit there's a pile now towards the door the child is peering out from between his legs Uh, a couple get in and corner the child there's you know so many great spider effects but the terror of them lowering themselves upside down on the the line of web and uh suddenly the child has one on his head that 
gets blasted off after a moment of terror and then two more around him and then we realize it's not mando it was frog lady and the child still has his hands up as mando takes the flamethrower to the door and finally finally gets it to close this whole portion of the story i think captures the strength of the mandalorian as a show uh in that you know many people have said uh perhaps with a complaining tone it's been noted kind of the general structure of this as a series is more basic than not there's not all sorts of twists and turns and oh didn't you realize that you were dead all along and there's not kind of those conventions but what do you get because of the hull damage you get you know, you get the basic film and story convention, maybe even the, the the primal convention of if I can just get home and get inside my house, I'll be okay. Yes, except this house, this ship, uh, the, the front door has been ripped open. So now you need to get to your bedroom, the cockpit, and then finally you can be safe. So it's kind of this sense of even inside the four walls of your home. Uh, you're not safe. You need to get you need to get under the covers in your room, that sort of thing. And I think it, you know, again, that's a simple thing. I mean, that's the, every horror movie does that, but here it's kind of being repurposed with with all the sci-fi stuff. And though we might feel safe in the cockpit slash bedroom, um, even as the little and mid-sized guys click clack up the up the, the the glass of the cockpit there. Mando firing up the engines. Okay, time to save the day. Um, this is probably not a point where you are pausing or pressing up on your remote to check where the time is up. It just feels like whew, narrow escape. The ship starts to take off. Yay, happy ending. Uh, <laughs> then the other presumed parent lands on the ship, the weight of it bringing the ship back down. To make things worse, one of those legs you know, two smashes. Two, two smash through the cockpit. Pete, is this curtains for the Mandalorian? Um, <laughs> the mouth multi-levels of teeth there again click clacking and scraping against the glass of the cockpit uh then heavy blaster fire starts to take it away yeah and uh with a thud outside uh mando leaves the cockpit with his pistol slowly making his way down into the holes just covered in webbing um on my second watch matt i was like wait a minute why are they all dead inside? But remember he had used the flamethrower. So conceivably they were all coming towards, uh, the, the live food up in the cockpit. Uh, so anything that he had killed was down in the hole. There's a couple still around that he shoots. And then outside the lights are blinding as these X wing pilots we see in a separate shot have opened their cockpits and are using their rifles to pick off the remaining uh, spiders. Um, it's Carson, it's Wolf, uh, who reveal, Carson does, that they ran the tabs on the Razor Crest. Um, there's an arrest warrant for the abduction of prisoner X6911. However dramatic pause the onboard security records show that mando apprehended three priority culprits from the wanted register um, and security records also show that he put his life in harm's way to attempt to protect lieutenant davin of the new republic correctional corps you know the one who didn't make it was uh knifed by uh Jean. Um, who was captured. So uh, 
he he's done the right thing here he holsters mando does his blaster um he wants to know if he's under arrest and technically matt he should be but you know they're gonna give him the old space pardon here you know i hereby space pardon you and all your future crimes uh because these are trying times and uh he says he'll forego the bounty on the three criminals if they help him fuse his hull so he can get off this frozen rock. But what say he fix his transponder and they don't vaporize this antique the next time they're patrolling the rim and they lower their cockpits and leave. Pete, perhaps the slightest suggestion there, not just him. I know the dialogue is that he's going to forego the bounty. Maybe it's being vaguely floated out there, you know. And since the bounty is up for grabs, anybody who wants to take it, maybe. Um, But I do like this notion that, you know, for as much as we root for our X-Wing pilots in, in the Star Wars movies... Wolf and Carson here are, um, they know that Mando is mostly a bad guy and they know that there are, there are a number of challenges to bringing him in and if they can just kind of clear the docket and up and leave, um, and whatever happens, happens from there, kind of, kind of so be it. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's, uh, the justice of nature, you know, if five minutes after they leave, more spiders come, hey, them's the breaks. Um, but, but calling it even kind of in favor of the, uh, of the X-Wing pilots here, um, we get, uh, Mando, uh, sealing up the cockpit, uh, then finally able to having a bit of a rest, um, uh, a bit of a rest. He sleeps four times in this episode, Matt. Uh, PT's a tired guy. All right. There, there's been a lot going on. He notes that once they do take off, they're going to have to stay in the cockpit until they arrive at their destination. So kind of kind of hunker down for a long journey after the fix. Uh, hit that vac tube now if you need to. And then, Pete, we get a fixing montage. <laughs> He's able to fix glass, apparently, but can't fix the holes in the hull, which is interesting. But again, space story, so you forgive it. Um, with everything done here, they lift off, uh, kind of drifting the right engine sparking a little bit. He tells frog lady to wake him up. If someone shoots at them or if the door is sucked off the rails, which gets a reaction out of her, but you know, he's maintained his sense of humor through this terrifying ordeal. They'll all be dead. If that happens, sweet dreams crosses his arms here. The child peering back to look at the eggs. Frog lady putting her arms around the cylinder to protect it. And then just the great shot of the child turning back. Oh, I don't need those. I still have one underneath my little uh, burlap uh, clothing here. And he slurps down another one on the lap. And we get the episode concluding with the ship tottering into space, not looking great at all. The trunk is open. Indeed. I mean, my expectation, my expectation, well, we'll talk about that in the theory segment, but but the ship in better shape than perhaps it, it might have been uh, as we end the episode. Let's chase down some theories. Pete, Reference is made to the moon of Trask. Is that maybe a derivation of the moon of Trank, 
Josh Trank Boba Fett movie. <laughs> Somehow it's all connected. I see some of the pieces. Can you fill in the picture for me? Uh, Headmaster Trask, Matt, is the villain of the um, the film um, Scent of a Woman with um, Al Pacino. And, and I... I just imagine it's some sort of homage there, but I, I do like the anti Josh Trank dig. I don't know. It is interesting to think I, who knows with contracts and whatnot. I wonder if we will ever, if we will ever know what Josh Trank's Boba Fett story was, whether there was, you know, was there a 120 page script? Was there a 60 page treatment? Was there a five paragraph outline? Um, who knows who knows how much is you know you're working for star wars so these are now star wars ideas and you took your paycheck and much like marvel comics you know it's at work for hire so you might have come up with the idea that uh boba fett had a baby yoda but we own the idea and you know that that sort of thing i'm certainly not suggesting it i'm just more thinking out loud you know the what was before josh trank um melted down repeatedly there are a lot of great names in Star Wars, you know, some of which considered pseudo canonical, you know, for instance, the walrus man that uh, accosts Luke in the cantina, um, that the actual name is Ponda Baba, uh, but walrus man and hammerhead, uh, these types of things. OK, ant man here, giant ant, but Dr. Mandible. Okay, uh, Dr. Mandible is my favorite Star Wars character name since an alien that appeared in Solo named Therm Scissor Punch. <laughs> when there was the name Dr. Mandible, I was just convinced because it was so kind of out there and so, you know, it's in the subtitles, it's used in dialogue and all that. I was just like, clearly this is one of the litany of, you know, old time Star Wars characters and they're just officially going with the name that was informally given by a staffer in Kenner until George Lucas heard otherwise gave them otherwise. And then he never did. So, you know, like I imagine there was this whole kind of rinky dink, you know, real world story behind it. Instead, it's kind of the imagined, you know, I, Pete, I know when star Wars galaxy, uh, uh, not galaxy again, when star Wars, uh, gallery comes out for this season, I guarantee you that somebody's going to be talking about Dr. Mandible's design, and then John Favreau will interrupt them and say, I just love that name. It's like all the names of the toys before things were official. I can't wait to hear his interruption to confirm what I'm saying. <laughs> there is a praying mantis type style alien in the original Cantina scene, uh, canonically uh, named Kiddick Kiddikak. Uh, this, this is different. My headcanon, Matt, until we get that gallery, is Peyton Reed saying, you know, I had this big ant from the Ant-Man and the Wasp shoot. Uh, it had been gathering some dust. It's a physical costume. We thought, long time ago, galaxy far, far away, why not put him in here? He's playing Sabacc with uh, Peli Motto, no harm, no foul. But now that that character is there then that character survives the snap uh then a couple years ago 2018 okay conceivably still in the marvel universe 
we're that much closer, Matt. We have Boba Fett. We have a character now that has uh, sprawled the Star Wars universe and straddled the uh, Marvel universe, okay? Uh, when uh, the X-Men show up outside of a Star Destroyer at the end of this season, Patton Oswalt will finally have unified all these properties. Um, indeed, Pete, let's dig kind of into some of the nitty gritty behind the scenes stuff here for a moment. Um, this episode, what in the 42 minute range, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and granted that's with the previously on and the credits and whatnot, but in that neighborhood, uh, last week's episode, 50 plus minutes, um, Good news, we're getting what we had kind of asked for in longer episodes. In fact, Pete, you know, again, this dueling Star Trek, Star Wars thing that we're doing uh, lately, podcasting both both new shows. Um, we had wished for longer episodes from both, although I, I will stress, for Mandalorian last season, it was like, hey, these 30-minute episodes, they are the length of the story. This doesn't feel kind right. of that we're being let down, especially when it's like, you know, smaller cast, smaller stories, etc. Um but from an awards point of view, I don't know what the line is in terms of official measuring of how long an episode is. But Mandalorian, Mandalorian season one won a number of um, creative Emmys in the 30-minute spot, 30-minute episode spot, even though some were maybe a little bit longer. You know, 42 minutes, that's what a network drama is without commercials. 50-so minutes, that's your standard, you know, commercial-free kind of thing. It made me wonder if... Some of these longer episodes are going to be competing in a different category. So it can be, hey, you won the cinematography for a half hour. Can you win cinematography for, for an hour? You know, I, I don't know. As if they need to prove themselves in different categories. <laughs> I mean, to me, the episode length, as you stated, is what it needs to be. Okay. To tell this small in time, but not small in scale in the very least. I mean, Matt, we, we get... We get a tension-filled, uh, you know, teaser with a hostage situation. Okay, we get a cantina scene. We get an X-wing chase. We get this creature movie and escape. Um, and I'm not even looking at the runtime at the end of this episode. And then, boom. Okay, pseudo cliffhanger. The, the, the trunk won't close and we're drifting towards our destination. Um, you know, give me next week's episode right now. I wonder how much of this episode um, was driven by financial pluses. And by that, I mean, you know, no doubt that there's a ton of money poured into this show. But at the end of the day, it is going to be finite. Um, and the fact that you don't need to have lengthy discussions with Amy Sedaris about what her character is going to be like. It's already established. You don't need to have her in for a day and then do wig tests and everybody's going to have a meeting to see what this way, you know, like the character is established in terms of the actor, uh, what you're going to pay them, the costume and, and so forth. Um, the digital and physical sets are built already for her docking bay. I mean, we had it last week too. Ditto for the, uh, for the cantina. Um, you're bringing back the the uh, actress in the in the suit here for Frog Lady, so you kind of know what works, what doesn't, and all of that. I wonder if maybe you're able to say, and, and I, I look obviously digital effects are going to be the most expensive thing here, but you add up all these, you know, 
all these areas where the money has already been spent last season and you go and we can shake out another eight minutes of digital cave and digital spider effects and that now makes the episode longer um pete you also mentioned the ship's shape at the end of the episode we see it limping to the next destination i'm hoping that the footage of the ship looking so terrible in the trailer um maybe that's how next week's episode opens you know our thought had been abandoned ship things are terrible um you know the ship is going to crash the end of the razor crest um maybe it'll land at the at, at the next destination um and get fixed over the next couple episodes you know a way to take the ship off of the story whiteboard for a couple episodes but still exists maybe maybe please don't take away my existing razor crest lego model and pete's uh, future <laughs> uh kenner one um we'd like to keep has, our has toys pete made a huge mistake this weekend finally deciding to fund the uh five tier uh backed uh razor crest from hasbro the the has lab uh at 349.99 only to have this thing rendered obsolete um fingers crossed that they don't that said pete i mean we discussed as recently as last week sometimes the marketing slash um um you know kind of kind of production partners the the merchandising etc sometimes that's not in sync with the story uh you mentioned uh who was the character from a force away from the force awakens who appeared for three seconds but was a big part of the toy he actually does not appear in the film constable zuvio <laughs> uh well there you go I, I pete i think i read last week like three frames or three seconds or something but certainly it's not what it intended to be i don't know pete all i know is all i know is uh, here we are only 10 episodes 10 mostly half hour episodes um into this show and i care for the razor crest almost as much as i care for the millennium falcon it's on um, that level we've we've seen it i mean the the math has got to be close at this point matt to the amount of time they've appeared on screen together you think of mentally how your mind has mapped out the interior of both you know i know where the cockpit is i know where you go back into the hole there's my my carbonite alcove etc etc um and yeah to have it limping home at the end here i mean fingers crossed not just because i've laid out money for a gigantic collector's item here uh, that, that won't be delivered to homes for still a year. But, you know, just in terms of the, the story, just in terms of what, what's Mando going to ride in afterward unless he finds Boba Fett's ship laying about. Pete, these are good problems to have. They are indeed. Matt, you mentioned before, uh, you know, we're, we're podcasting Star Trek Discovery on Saturdays uh, for season three. We're doing uh, Mandalorian on Sundays for season two. And uh, the the ship problems, you know, you can't go uh, light speed. You can't go uh, warp, hyperspace, et cetera, et cetera. How about the additional story demand of, okay, the, the trill... The, the Star Trek species uh, that is a symbiont within a uh, humanoid host, 
uh, okay, you're going to take the shuttle down to the planet. Oh, frog lady, your spawn in your cylinder backpack. We got to travel at sublight, no hyperspace. What happens if the eggs travel at hyperspace? Do they like splat on the, on the side of the, the cylinder? I mean, she took them out in some random uh, hot springs on this planet for a bath, <laughs> but they can't travel at hyperspace. I think therein you have the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars. Um, it's been it's been observed before that Star Wars isn't really science fiction. It's fantasy that uses sci-fi elements. Um, so I think in you know a Star Trek viewer would demand a little bit more of a science or a faux science or kind of a story science answer to all of this for the Mandalorian in the Star Wars universe, I'm okay just simply having the knowledge. Um, they can't go to hyperspace because she says it. I mean, you know, ultimately it's the same story answer that, that all these things are just story contrivances to make the adventure happen that they want. Um, fine. Her, those are the particulars of her, uh, of her race and the, the eggs, which have been, um, uh, you know, which have been laid. I, I, I don't, know that it makes a ton of science sense you know how about eggs that have yet to be have yet to be laid is that the same rule you know ultimately it is the rule and it's the rule by which the 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 detour to the x-wings the detour to the the ice planet the cave the ice spiders etc that it's all made possible i mean she says she needs to get them fertilized by the equinox so are we gonna see Frogman next episode and these eggs fertilized. Um, Pete, I don't think we're going to see them actively fertilized. I think, <laughs> I think you that... know, Matt. Sometimes when a frogman loves a frog lady, <laughs> and the equinox is a calling. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I mean. So aside from the fertilization portion, done by the equinox. Okay, that's a that's a standard Star Wars story clock that means nothing. You know, there there is no countdown. There is no we have thirty minutes until the bomb blows up. It's a thing to make go fast, uh, as opposed to make go slow. Um, I think that I mean I'm kind of let me put it this way, Pete. This episode started immediately after last week's episode, which by and large was a new development. Last season, um interesting story threads would pick up from where we left off but then they'd work in there i mean even even you know i think of the uh the the uh magnificent seven uh, takeoff episode last season you know mid-episode references made to you know well we've been here with them krill farmers for what six weeks now um and it's just kind of effortless time goes by um could we next week land after the rigorous two-day journey or week or whatever it is that the, the portion of the journey that stinks but could we immediately land on the planet where Frogman is and he's there to receive her end of that story as mando then moves on to his next adventure uh, i feel like that's maybe a bit more in line with the flavor of this season but we only have the two data points last week that ended and this week where it picked off so so who knows the x-win cops the essentially uh, a traffic stop in this episode matt 
sweeping for Imperial holdouts. We know uh, Mando mentions there's those warlords about we've run into, yet we've not run back into just yet. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito's uh, Moff Gideon, but he's he's floating about out there. Um, so obviously, again, we we ramp up the the trying times that this uh, story occurs in. And again, you know, as as part of the DNA of the Star Wars universe, I don't think that the presence here of space cops is intended to be a timely commentary. So I, w- I will withhold any sort of, um, you know, connection to the present day. I think it's more in that, you know, in that timeless tradition, certainly the, the you know, the, the Old West tradition of, you know, the well-meaning sheriff uh, is there to just make sure, you know, to, to look at the bounty posters and and whatnot. And the fact that we get, um, you know, the fact that we get kind of frontier justice in terms of, well, we'll call it all square because these are trying times. Um, but we're also not going to help you because, uh, you know, too bad, so sad. That's part of your frontier justice is you go figure it out, but we're not going to uh, take you away in chains Side note, Pete, should I ponder that X-Wings don't really have a storage place to hold the Mandalorian if you've captured him? So maybe that's a story factor, too. Like, we actually can't bring him back in that busted-up ship, so we'll just mosey on out of here. I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's a fair route to explore or if that's just part of the Star Wars mythos. But certainly at the end of the day, these are just... Like I said, these are these are frontier sheriffs that dispense some some frontier justice and let the you know let the walking man walk off into the uh, into the sunset on his own. We've watched the child eat three of Frog Lady's eggs. Remains to be seen whether she's looked at the number in her brood there and and realized that any are missing. Although something tells me biology, you're going to lay more than you actually. Are, are intense on hatching, fertilizing, etc. And they were kind of rushed out of the uh, geothermal spring. But uh, though people were horrified, is this not the child kind of bringing some form of balance? Well, I mean, I think first and foremost, you know, again, Star Wars tends not to delve into specific discussions of the specific day so overall is this story helped by you know these are these are uh these are definitively these are eggs that do not have a life in them yet you know blah 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 sure if that's probably somebody along the you know along the way just double checked hey there's no there's no controversial way to to look at this episode right okay it's just it's just unfertilized frog eggs got it it's essentially the same as um the same as freshly laid chicken eggs some some mama hen stays on and they turn into cute little chickies. Others get pulled and turn into my breakfast. And and cake in between, they do not meet. And all sorts of other delicious things. Absolutely. Cake is eternal. Although, as you said, Pete, pies are petrol, perpetual. Um, I think the, the convenience, the conceit of the story is that she is not noticing that they're missing... To my eye, there appear to be less in there. You said, Pete, that he that the, the child eats three. Um, I feel like there was more at the end of the episode. There's more than three missing than at the beginning. 
is that just a visual way because they're like hey in the oh, beginning it's implied we... he scarfed some more down when he was under the tarp i mean the, true, the lid true. is open he's caught with his hand in the uh the egg jar so to speak um but we've seen him physically imbibe three of them so i mean I think it is implied by the end of the episode that she has not noticed. If you then want to layer in the the um, the basic notion of she comes from a species where a ton of eggs get laid, and then you know, and, and then there's not that kind of mammalian uh, nurturing where you know, with lower output and more focus to the to the newborns and all that. Pete, I think that all soothes our emotions in the episode. Um, uh, I worry how she would feel if she found out, but I think that I think that we're meant to turn a blind eye to it. I really, really do. Should we be at all worried that she has now hotwired Zero, uh, so she could speak through him? But uh, now they're crammed up in the cockpit. This droid that we've been told before does not need um, air to function uh, has had his vocabulary vocabulator turned on and though he can't put himself back together uh it's still kind of frightening that this killer droid in bits and pieces is back in the hold i think it depends ultimately on the needs of let's say the story this season now that said let me start with an asterisk for as long as those droid pieces exist, could that be a story thread that they return to? Absolutely. I think for the purposes of this episode, um, the story needed to speed up a little bit and the wants and needs of Frog Lady needed to be made clear and kind of the Mandalorian wishy-washy, I give up, I give up. He needed to have the Mandalorian code reminded to him. So that's how that happens with kind of existing existing story pieces existing story wreckage literally on board um i would not personally expect that while the razor crest is being repaired in chapters 11 12 and 13 that all of a sudden there's help me put me back together and then that's setting up the big reveal at the end of uh five episodes after that you know boom zero is back and he's got guns uh, I, I would not anticipate that, but I'm, I'm going to start to keep an eye out for it. The minute that there's some sort of, you know, beep, beep, uh, he is still functioning in some way, I, I would start to get worried. The spider mat and the spider design is not new to this episode. Uh, my familiarity was instantly uh, kindled, and I went to my... Uh, the illustrated Star Wars universe published in 1995 and sure enough on page 82 and page 83 there is a two-page spread of what uh, Macquarie, Ralph Macquarie, the Star Wars illustrator and the text here by Kevin J. Anderson, longtime Star Wars novelist, referred to as a knobby white spider in the Dagobah section of this book covering the original trilogy so that they reached for this that they brought the crate dragon in last week and and granted there were some fans that got their uh feelings hurt and their childhoods ruined because the crate dragon did not uh appear to have legs and the picture in this same book of a crate dragon has legs but also like when Boba Fett had white armor uh, and a different helmet 
and then the same helmet but also white and the uh, actual version that appeared on screen no one's childhoods were ruined and i think you kind of capture um because you capture something there because of the expanded nature of the star wars universe particularly in you know that period from 1984 to what when the first um uh, special edition was released somewhere in there. 97. 97. Because, because all of Star Wars was, um, I don't want to say relegated, but because all of Star Wars was then relegated to uh, lower tier stuff, you know, not the whoa, movies whoa, as whoa. canon. Are you calling two made-for-TV Ewok movies lower? Um, Pete, are they on Disney Plus? They are not. Well, then th- somebody <laughs> thinks they're yet. lower tier. Pete, they are the Muppet babies of the, the and, and indeed the Muppet show of the Disney crown, which is a weird missing piece uh, that we're not quite sure why it's missing and what's up with that. But I digress. I think because you have a bunch of now adults, then children, who experience Star Wars as, you know, new Star Wars as coming from uh, art that was in the the role-playing guide, um, supplemental material like the art of Star Wars that you're talking about. And, and I really genuinely think you have some kids who have forgotten the fact that their crate Dragon Adventures were with the book propped open and their battered uh, Luke Skywalker figure right in front of it, that that was an awesome adventure back in 1988 when you had it at home on that snowy day. But that that doesn't, and that your your memory is real and authentic. But that doesn't change the fact that Ralph McQuarrie painted a thing uh, to give other people ideas, and somebody in another department looked at it and was like, "Yeah, the time it would take to do that metal armature, and then to put the rubber over it, and to do stop motion. No, we're just going to go in another direction, you know. And and oh, George just cut that scene anyway that was going to take place on the planet of the lizards, whatever it might be. So." There's a little bit of that in Star Wars fandom where, you know, your memories are your memories, but that doesn't mean that those are the official memories that people have to use, the Filonis and Favros need to use as a foundation, let alone take things in other directions, like the cousin species, whatever it might be. Listen, you know the child can't be harmed. I know the child can't be harmed. But... The number of times that he was imperiled in this episode and that we never see him anywhere in the 30 succeeding years, you know, all right, he'd be pushing 80, maybe be headed into like child first grade by then, okay, makes it no less comforting when he's held at knife point, when uh, he has uh, a spider on his head. Okay, or all the other situations he's been put in, I still worry for him. Yeah, and I think I mean, look, <laughs> we've talked about different species. That's our basic mammalian, you know. Oh, it's got cute, soft features and big eyes. I, 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 I worry for it. Um, I wouldn't read too deeply in the fact that that we don't know the child's fate in the sequel um, trilogy. I, I think that I mean. A, obviously, there's the real-world answer of, you know, there was no baby Yoda uh, until, I mean, probably um, 
Rise of Skywalker was probably done with principal photography when first season of Mandalorian was in pre-production, you know, something like that. So, uh, Pete, if nothing else, there's the answer that somebody can continue to tell those stories at some point. You know, maybe 10 years from now, there's the teen baby Yoda chronicles uh, on the on the, the, the hollow glass uh, storytelling thing, and there's your there's your update where he's hanging out with teenage Poe or something like that. But in the interim, it is what it is. All right, extend that antenna. Pete, we start with our Twitter poll, and you know what? I must apologize for putting it up a bit late. Uh, yesterday, Pete, there was a lot of things going on, shall we say. Um, so hopefully this is a representative poll. If not, my apologies. Uh, the votes were, Pete, this week, the, they were by eggs. One egg, can't sleep. Spiders, got 0%. Two eggs, X-Wing pilots first, uh, got 4.5%. Three eggs, creepy crawly fun, got 45.5%. And then four eggs, full tummy, got 50%. Um, so interesting that kind of the up, the, the uppest, the highest level, not necessarily blasted out here. Uh, although Pete, the clear winner. Um, uh, but also no votes on the lower end. A couple of replies here. First is from my pal and yours james that's at big killin on twitter this episode was silly and weird and i think we all needed some of that if jj does secretly run star wars and star trek james tongue clearly in cheek here he's doing a great job giving us a balance in these turbulent times baby yoda's cholesterol might be higher than his midichlorian count your <laughs> thoughts pete do we need space kale there <laughs> space kale's delicious okay only uh exceeded by space seaweed in terms of nutrients um which i'm sure we'll get on the estuary moon of trask but um there's no cholesterol to uh frog unfertilized uh frog lady spawn so eat away uh baby yoda the child and other uh life forms Pete, we also heard from Edgar Danger. His last name is Danger, baby. Uh, that's at Poe Trial. So Pete, Poe Trial, Poe Dameron, Edgar Danger, uh, Austin Powers, uh, some connection there. Uh, but Edgar says as follows in response to our tweet, meh. Standard filler episode with no substance or any kind of development. I particularly disliked that Baby Yoda kept eating those eggs. Twas not funny. Looked fantastic, as usual, though. Hashtag bored. Hashtag the Mandalorian season two. I fail to see how anybody could possibly be bored in an episode where an army of giant spiders basically beat the Mandalorian and he needed to be rescued. But hey, that's fine, and uh, maybe move on to something else. Uh, by the way, Pete, not in response to us, but just Twitter offering up some more tweets that uh, use the hashtag uh, for the Mandalorian. Um, I see that Star Wars Holocron, which, while not an official uh, Twitter, you know, is uh, SW underscore Holocron, uh, says as follows. Uh, Did you know Mos Pelgo, uh, the town from last week, was first introduced in the Knights of the Eternal Throne expansion pack for the video game Knights of the Old Republic? So... Uh, unsurprised but um, i'm a bit dazzled by the notion that uh that they're cutting deep into the existing star wars catalog to to fill out and simultaneously strengthen the the universe 
I was not a Knights of the Old Republic guy. Uh, I'm aware of it. Uh, just didn't play it. And uh, I'm not surprised either that they would incorporate a, another community on the gigantic world of, of Tatooine rather than making up a Moss Favreau. <laughs> Pete, do you have any feedback there on Facebook? I do. Uh, left underneath our um, podcast for Chapter 9 last week, Scott Lincoln wrote, on the uh, Facebook page for Fantastic Geek. Great podcast. I listened to you guys talk about The Mandalorian, Discovery, Picard, he's referring to Star Trek there, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over there on the Marvel side, and all the MCU movies. You have a legitimate knowledge of each franchise. You share lots of interesting tidbits, and you do a great job entertaining us. I listened to the podcast on 1.5 speed mostly for time and efficiency, but also because the normal one-time speed makes you sound like you're on Quaaludes. <laughs> okay, smiley face. Keep up the great work. Uh, a follow-up there from top fan Scott Lincoln. He's got the little badge for our Facebook page. To clarify, I'm so used to your voices at 1.5 times speed that the normal speed seems weirdly slow. Well, Pete, I know that uh, we both uh, uh, we both had extra. Uh, is there a Star Wars coffee? What's the what's the Star Wars version of coffee? Oh well, not blue milk. Um, my my brain's searching for it right now, and I. I, just... I know in the Zahn novels they make reference to the the far out yes. weirdo thing, the, the hot, hot chocolate. chocolate. Yeah. Um. So, so whatever it is, uh, hopefully we have extra pep. Uh, this week, um, <laughs> despite it being a, a a weird week of late nights and trying to make sense of the world and whatnot, indeed uh, the world making sense. But um, whether you're listening to us at uh, 1.5 speed or or regular speed or perhaps even no slow... hyperspace or those eggs oh. go bye bye. Pete, what else do you have there on the ever reliable Facebook? Steve Adams also writes into the Fantastic Geek Facebook page. Another great episode of The Mandalorian. First, a quick note about last week's show. I missed seeing the name of Tamora Morrison in the credits, so I didn't realize at first that this was the same actor from Attack of the Clones. I hope it is Boba Fett and not a clone. As a fan of Spider-Man comics in the 90s, I still get the sweats anytime I am confronted with a clone saga. This was another fun episode, and I was happy to see more of the child in action. His propensity for mischief is nothing short of hilarious. His stomach is his biggest weakness, and I can relate. It's great to see how Mando really does seem to care about the child. He continues to grow as a character, and that is why I keep watching. Great action, writing, and characterization will always translate into a great show. So far, I would say season two is even better than season one. I love this show more with each new episode. I'm certainly enjoying, uh, as I said earlier, the, the idea that this season is a bit more, um, bit more compact than last season in terms of the interconnectedness of the stories, or, or at least just the timeline. Um, one did kind of 
I don't know. It, it, each episode last season w- was spread out a bit more. Maybe not each episode. Most of the episodes were kind of spread out from each other, and these a bit more, uh, a bit more connected. And I'm enjoying that. Maybe it's just a result of they don't need to spend time introducing the way the Mandalorian has been, and then now there's the child that's changing him somewhat, and then the change occurs half halfway through, and it's ruined his whole bounty hunter world and all of that. Um, you can just kind of hit the ground running this season. And Pete, that of course brings into question when will we have the return of Moff Gideon? You know, one of those things just kind of out there, when will it happen this season? Uh, On our side, we of course have our own Moff. I refer to Moff Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Mandalorian Season 2, Episode 2. I think this Mandalorian is not somebody who has a lucky strain. There are so many things that are going wrong. The Force doesn't seem to be with him. Looking for a Mandalorian in Mos Pelgo, which is a marshal going back, being raided by some thugs, some bandits, having to walk through the desert to the next city, having a frog lady on board which you cannot understand, a child that is stealing eggs, fighters from the New Republic that give you problems, and then you find a hideout and your whole ship is going through the ice. You try to repair the thing and you get an invasion by spiders, finally flying away, and then a a spider bumps up uh, on top of the Razor Crest. It's a little bit much for this poor Mando. But he goes on. What's quite amazing that he is able to repair his ship, even without quail. So he will prevail. But you don't want to ask how. I really wonder what misfortune he will encounter more. And whether this will shift my opinion that it is a little bit much. Best scenes of the episode were by Peli Motto, and by the child, of course, stealing the eggs. But Peli Motto, with her speaking frog, saying everything is for free, and then the older butts come. But this bandette. In her way of speaking and doing, she reminds me a little bit of Jet Reno of Discovery, which you are covering as well at the moment. One nitpick is that when they finally fly away, it seems he had repaired the cockpit's glass and he was saying they should stay in the cockpit because the other parts of the Razor Crest are not pressurized. When the big spider falls on top of the Razor Crest, it pierces the cockpit glass with his legs. And okay, I can imagine he can repair all kinds of electronic things, but cockpit glass. Was he really able to repair the cockpit's glass or whatever material it's made from? I really think you need spare parts for that. Okay, that was all for now. Hope you survive your elections. And as said in the Discovery podcast, it's really crazy what is happening in your country. From my standpoint, or our standpoint here in Europe, we're really, really amazed about some things that uh, happen there. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. 
Pete certainly. Uh, I know Fred had sent that, uh, but before the uh, the the presumed conclusion of our election in this country, and uh, just as mentioned before, certainly quite quite a weekend that it's been. Um, I was glad to see Fred seeing, uh, as we are, kind of some weird unintended connections between where we're at in Star Trek and where we're at in Star Wars. Uh, your thoughts of Peli Motto and her, her frog speaking, maybe not directly her frog speaking, but Fred pointed it out. Peli Motto and Jet Reno, kind of similar characters. I hadn't seen it before, but now I can't unsee it. Yeah, uh, then Amy Sedaris here and... Um... Tig Notaro, both being uh, comedians, cast in these kind of wry roles. Uh, it's an interesting comparison, and, and you know, podcasting both. Granted, you don't get, um, we haven't gotten as much uh, Jet Reno uh, in this second or third season that uh, of Discovery, the second season that she's in thus far. But yeah, it is, it's an interesting comparison. Uh, indeed, Pete, it occurs to me we've gotten more Pelimato than we have Jet Reno. Um, as for the cockpit glass, I share Fred's observation that, you know, it was punctured. Uh, I guess, I mean, I even I guess, the story says it was fixed. Uh, we did not see that. Do you think that we see some sort of tentative patch job next week, however it might be? Um, does the story address that, or do we just... It's just one of those things that, you know, oops, didn't get covered or is covered by implication, not by action on screen. He says he repaired the cockpit. Is is there a transparasteel patch that we did not see that he was welding or fixing? I, oh, okay. <laughs> the ship is banged up enough. The idea that they would not have a pressurized point in it to remain alive uh, would obviously not propel the story forward. Pete, as a new week is about to uh, to get underway here, how can people be in touch with you to talk about The Mandalorian, to share those prognostications for the week's end in the next episode? You could find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,694 followers, can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word. Like it today. Well, Pete, for those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we'll, we will be back on Saturday to talk Discovery, episode 305. If you're just here for the Star Wars, looking at that Sunday or Monday range for Mandalorian, episode 203. Again, guaranteeing those Mando Mondays, but coming in usually on the Sundays. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Oh, stop you crying. You'll rust. 